So Courtney and I would like to know, are you still interested in weight loss? So if, if you are, we'll put it this way. We've changed our lives, have we? Yes. We have? Would you say that we've changed the lives of others? Yes. Would you say we've done it by doing things that the weight loss industry doesn't actually want you to know about? Yes. So things like, well, you know, meal plans, not around here. No. Do we do marathon gym routines? No. Do we count calories? No. Okay. Um, do we do and focus on dieting? This is a diet-free zone. A diet-free zone? Yes. What about meal replacements and detoxes? No, we're free of those two. Okay. Could I interest you in bullshit gimmicks that make you hate life? Definitely not. What about cutting out different types of food groups and different color foods? No, we are a diet-free zone. <laughs> we are indeed a diet-free zone. So would you agree then, Courtney, that we help people when it comes down to it by changing their habits? Yes, absolutely. We talk about habits all the time. Habits can completely change the way that you look. You look at food, you think about food, you think and you do your exercise. So it's common to think that good nutrition is about the food. It's actually about the habits. Mm -hmm. So if you change a person's habits, you will change the person. How do we know this? Because we did it. Exactly. We've done it. Uh, and now, if you are interested in weight loss yourself and really taking control and turning your life around for the first time now in what has to be at least 16 months, we're opening new spots for clients. Yes. Big lot all at one time. For, for, finally. Yes. It's been quite a while now. So we now have uh, officially 10 spots that we've opened up, only 10. For anyone anywhere in the world who's ready to be taken by the hand and guided through a life-changing transformation by us. Yes. Using none of, the, none of the gimmicks we just spoke about. No, not one. So there's a catch though. We don't just work with anyone. So we are very selective and we know who we work best with because we need to be able to relate to that person. Absolutely. So ideally, you should be able to relate to the following problems, shall we say. So if you've struggled with your weight for way too long and you've gone around in circles, then we'd like to hear from you. If you've got lingering injuries or conditions that you think are an obstacle to your success, we'd like to hear from you. If you've struggled to prioritize yourself and you find putting yourself first really, really hard and really challenging, even though you know you need to do it, we'd like to hear from you. If you've thrown a lot of money at diets, ineffective PT programs and gimmicks with no return on investment, but you are ready to invest in the best investment in the world, which is what? Yourself. Yourself. <laughs> yep. We would like to hear from you. If you are scared and intimidated by the big gym environment, but over time you'd like to learn and develop the confidence to walk into any gym and just smash it, knowing what you're doing and get out of there and live your life, we want to hear from you because we work well with that type of a person. But also finally, if you struggle with time management and you're scared that you just don't have the time to lose the weight even though you want to, we want to hear from you. Does that sound reasonable, Courtney? I think so. Great. So if this is you, then we want to hear from you. We would encourage you to go to online.totaltransformations.com.au Pop your details in there at the bottom of the page and answer all the questions that you get asked on page two. Answer the questions in as much detail as possible. Tell us everything. Tell us your life story. 
because the more we know about you, the more we're able to tell you know who you are, where you've come from, where you want to head to. But also, most importantly, above anything else, it gives us the idea if we can genuinely help you change because we're not going to waste our time or your money if we know we can't help you. Mm. So that website is online.totaltransformations.com.au. Pop your details in there. If we think we're able to help you and we can really you know, assist you in making a life-changing transformation, we'll be in touch and we will go from there. The only catch is we're looking to start these 10 new clients by the 11th of June. So it needs to be people who are ready to get stuck into it and get stuck into it soon. So if this is you, talk to us and let's get this show on the road. Yeah. I was upset. I didn't think I had what it takes. It took a while to admit anything was wrong. Diet and exercise sounded intimidating. But small, easy goals made it easy to start. Every situation is different. There are many paths to victory, but the end goal is all the same. This is the Weight Loss Podcast with Matt and Courtney, a couple who committed to a strategy and lost a combined 100 kilograms. When it comes to weight loss, you don't just need encouragement, you need a strategy. Hello and welcome to the Weight Loss Podcast. We have a very, very special episode for you this week because we are going to sit here and tell you how we never make any mistakes and that um, losing all the weight that we've lost has come very easy to us because we're trainers, we know everything, and we never get anything wrong. Courtney, am I on the money now or what? Absolutely, and that's our podcast for this week, so thanks for tuning in. (laughs) (laughs) No, uh, definitely not right, I have to say. Okay, so yes, welcome indeed to the Weight Loss Podcast. Uh, My name is Matt. That voice you just heard is my beautiful wife, Courtney. Also, some might say the star of the show. Am I right? Yeah, you would be right. There you go. Thank you very much. (laughs) So contrary to my slight sarcasm just now, even though Courtney and I are trainers, we've changed our own lives, we've helped other people change their own lives, that's not to say things come easy to us. A lot of assumptions get made that because of, of where we are now and what we do, that we must, you know, we must be perfect. So Courtney, am I right in saying that you make no mistakes and that you have no, you've never had any struggles getting to where you, you've got to now and it's all come easy to you? Excellent. Okay. Well, uh, no. <laughs> exactly. That's my entire point. So even though we do what we do, we are human too. And we've got to this stage largely by going through Many of, if not all the same things that you are going through yourself. Yet, we do tend to find that, I suppose, what do you reckon, Courtney? What, at least half of the things we talk about with people are blowing assumptions out of the water? Yeah, absolutely. Because people see people see what they perceive to be the end result and just assume it came easy. Correct. Has this come easy to you? No. That's it? Well, it definitely has not come easy to me. No, it hasn't. And so, it continues to not be easy. And that's how it will be. So a, a little while ago, we did an episode where I highlighted my personal biggest struggles along the way in terms of the things that I found the most difficult. And well, it's Courtney's turn. Mm. Simple as that, because even though we are married and we work together, 
we are two different people. Uh, we think and perceive things differently. We, you know, we're, we're not the same person. Mm. So I think it, it, it's high time that we did this episode, Courtney, where you can elaborate on the things that you have struggled with the most and in some cases still do struggle with. But also I think, so, you know, sort of sharing what they are, how, how they affected you. So we can sort of, you can sort of tell, tell a couple of stories on how these issues have affected you personally, but also what you've done to either move past them or currently working to move past them. Yeah. Does that sound about right? Yep. All right. So Mrs. Perfect Trainer who makes no mistakes and <laughs> does everything easy. Uh, let's just get straight into this because there's a, a good chance this could become a pretty big discussion. What's the biggest or the, the biggest thing you've struggled with the whole time or the first thing you struggled with the whole, uh, you know, over your journey? The Well, the list that I've written out, I wrote out a list of th- things that I've, I've struggled with. I don't even know. I don't think they're necessarily in order as to what's the first thing I've struggled with, but they're all just things that I've struggled with. Looking at this myself now, as long as I've known you, this does not appear to be a chronological order. It's not. Yeah, I didn't write it in order. So just keep that in mind. These aren't necessarily the things that affected me at the start versus the things that affect me now. So yeah, just keep that in mind to begin with. But the the first one I put down on my list, one of, one of my biggest struggles I always faced was the fact that I really don't like working out. Why? And I know that that must come shocking to everybody that has listened to previous podcasts of ours because I never talk about how much I hate working out. But it's true. I dislike it. So, But how's that been, how has that been an issue for you? It's been a struggle. It, I wouldn't say it's been a struggle that's necessarily held me back because I still do it. I, I get it done. But it's a, it's a, especially at the beginning, it was a real mental battle for me because you've always got that period of time, that sort of honeymoon period of time, I think, when you're at the start of a new program and things are going really good and you're really enjoying it and you're excited. Um, but then that wears off and it starts to suck. <laughs> and in what way? It just becomes, you realize how hard it is. And I, it's not like those first bit of time you weren't working hard it's just that i think the excitement overshadows a lot of it well the blooms on the rose at the start that's correct for sure. and then the excitement of what you're doing tends to fade and it becomes work like it becomes like another job so the, the excitement tends to fade and then you realize it really comes into focus, at least it did for me, on how hard it was. And then mentally it's a struggle for me to, it used to mentally, I have would have to not think about the fact that I was going to the gym tonight or something like that. Because if I thought about it, I would then start to think of reasons why I could talk myself out of going. So then... That was the whole mental side of things was always a struggle for me. I don't know. It's just something about, you know, when you go to the gym, when I go to the gym and work out, I'm not the sort of person that gets something from that. You know, I don't get. What, the buzz? No. It just hurts to me. You know what I mean? It's just, it's just painful. So, 
you know, to me, I'm, I'm not going to get excited to go and put myself through pain. Like that doesn't excite me. So instead, I would not think about going to the gym and what I had to do at the gym that day. I would only think about my goal, my progress, you know, what 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 I was going to wear when I got to the end of my sort of goal. You wait, for a second, I thought you meant what you're going to wear at the gym. No, no. What leggings will I wear today? It was more so trying to think about the results from the workout instead of thinking about what I was going to do because I always would feel like if I was thinking about what I had to go to the gym and do, I would find reasons to start then talking myself out of going. Like what? Oh, just, you know, you could just leave it till tomorrow. Um, you know, you really shouldn't work out tonight. You're much more of a morning workout person. You should just leave it till the morning. You know, there, there, there'd all be all these things that would play in my mind about going. Oh, you're going to go when it's sort of peak hour at the gym. It's going to be busy. Maybe you should just wait till the tomorrow. But I always knew if I waited till tomorrow, then there's an increased chance I wouldn't do it. So I needed to go when... I was scheduled to go. And did you find there's anything in particular that helped you sort of lock that habit in of actually going? I think it just became a habit. I think it just, the more and more I focused less on what I needed to do when I got to the gym and just focused on the fact that it was just part of my day. I go to the gym on Tuesdays or whatever day it was. Well, what helped you at the start though when it wasn't a habit? thinking about the results from going, not what I was going to do when I got there. Mm -hmm. So in before I got there, I wouldn't think about what I was going to do when I got there. It was all based around whenever I had the thought of, oh, shit, I've got to go to the freaking gym tonight and work out. I don't want to. Or whether I had to go in the morning or whatever time it was. Then instead of thinking about, oh, I've got leg day and I'm going to be so sore and it's going to hurt so much and, oh, I've got to lift this massive weight – I wouldn't think about those things. I would think about what I'm going to wear in six months' time when I dropped a dress size. So obviously this this started after we met because you just mentioned weights. Yes. Something foreign to you before we met. Yes. Uh, do you think putting yourself on the hook in terms of accountability and someone to answer to helped? Absolutely. I mean, well, that was, that was the very, very, very start of it because – as you just mentioned, Matt, I wasn't lifting weights at all until I met you. So, well, you shouldn't because you know. And I was b- barely going to the gym, so I was very, very minimal effort in the gym whatsoever. I wouldn't even run on the treadmill. Even minimal I might would be just, an overstatement for you. I would just walk. So that was like, yeah, definitely minimal effort. And then, obviously, when I started working with you, Matt, as my trainer, that made me go and work harder because I think when I had somebody watching me, I didn't want to look like a goose, you know, like I didn't want to look like that loser that couldn't lift the weight, you know? So I naturally, my competitive nature kicked in. So I naturally tried harder when I was there. Um, And then I think it became easier to go because I had someone expecting me to go. So again, when I would think about, how much I didn't want to go to the gym, I would think, oh, but I have to go because 
Matt's expecting me to be there. So the accountability was useful? Huge factor, yeah. And then the only time it would I would have to kick in to the other strategy that I mentioned before, Matt, was that, you know, there was, I think there was, what, one training session a week or something like that I didn't do with you. Uh, actually, multiple. Yeah. Because I um, had you actually doing intense cardio. That's right. As well. So there was multiple sessions that I had to do on my own. And I didn't have, most of those sessions, I didn't have like a workout buddy or someone to go with that was expecting me to be there. So those are the times I had to bring in that other strategy that I mentioned about thinking about the result of the exercise, not what I was going there to do necessarily. Yeah, okay. And because I had everything written down, I could get away with not even thinking about what I was going to do until I rocked up, opened up my program. And then it was just written down. So then I didn't even have time to think about it. It was just written down. You just go and do it. Well, it is handy having some structure. Yeah. So you think now, like fast forward to today, it's just purely habit that you built up. Absolutely. Yeah, okay. Absolutely. I don't even think about going to the gym necessarily now. It's just just what I do. I mean, my biggest thing each week is just thinking about, oh, okay, which days am I going to do my walks which days am I going to do intense cardio Mm. you know generally speaking Monday Wednesday Friday I do my weight training Um, so then it's just piecing in the other exercise around those days so it's not it's really I don't really think about it much at all it's just I go generally at the same time every week generally on the same days so don't even think about it does the structure help Absolutely, because it allows me not to think about it until I get to the gym. So once I've got the habit of the structure of I know what days I need to work out, then I literally don't think about it until I get to the gym. And then I look at my plan and I say, okay, like now I've got to the habit where I know like every Monday's leg day. So I know every Wednesday's this day. I know every Friday's this day without even really thinking about it. But I don't really even can, doesn't even enter my mind until I get there and I open up what I, what weights I did last week and then I just start. See, if I allowed myself to think about it beforehand, that's where I would start to think, oh, yeah, I really don't want to, you know, and you start to talk yourself out of it. And then I think even if I was to still go, my workouts then suffer because I've just convinced myself for the last day or the last two days, how hard that session's going to be. And so I don't think I get the most out of the session that I should have got. you ever have it where you would sit in the car, in the car park? And think about going in? Yes. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yep. Did it ever get the better of you? Uh, I think only before I met you. Okay. It would, yeah. Yeah, okay. Like if I got to the gym and it was super packed. Was it intimidation, laziness? Both. Okay. Both. I think if I um, got to the gym and because at the time before I met you, Matt, I would live not too far from the gym. Mm. So it wasn't exactly like a really long drive that I was going to get there. Five minutes. So if I got there and I just had even the slightest sense that I wasn't feeling great or whatever, I'd just be like, nah. So anything you could hang on to, you'd use? Anything I could hang on to. And then yeah, okay. intimidation factor came in a little bit if I went in there and it was packed. Like if I 
didn't think before I went to the gym and it was like I ended up being there like the right in the middle of peak hour. Monday night. Um, and craziness when everybody's there. Like there's like the changeover between the tradies have been there and they're sort of finishing up their workouts to all the people that work in sort of um, business type jobs. They're arriving to do their workouts. So there's just people everywhere. And if like if I went in there, because I really all I did was walk on the treadmill, and if the treadmills were taken, I would go home. <laughs> or, you know, if the machines that I knew how to work were taken, I would just go home. Wouldn't try anything new? Because I was too afraid to try new things yeah, okay. or go into different areas that I'd never been in before, especially when it's peak hour and there's people everywhere. Mm. So, yeah, no, I definitely have, have had a bit of both. All right. With that one? So, I think we've covered off on that one mm. what's the next one emotional eating okay is next to my list so this one i've spoken about a lot over this the doesn't years. affect many people does it <laughs> yeah it's um it's pretty rare but <laughs> i have been one of the unlucky ones that have suffered from it um a lot so this has been a real big problem for me and I'm not going to sit here and claim that it's still not a problem. I don't think um, for me it's something that's ever 100% cured, I guess. I don't know what the word is to say, really. Reverse? I don't know. That sounds stupid too. I don't really know what how, how to say it, but you get the idea of what I'm saying. I think it's something I always have to be mindful of. I think it's the sort of thing for me that if, even though I've put strategies and habits in place, to sort of ensure that it, this emotional eating doesn't get out of control, if unless I stayed mindful of it, it would just go back. It's one of those uh, habits that was so deeply ingrained, I think, that even when you put strategies and habits that are good around it, unless you're just conscious of it, constant, like forever, I think you, I could easily slip back into it and 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 without knowing really can, out of interest can you touch on how it used to affect you before before we met versus now yeah i think back in the day I, i've always been a sweet tooth so my emotional eating was always sweet things so um and still is and junk food i have to say just so take away junk food and sweet things so chocolate Ice cream was always a big one for me. Like I could sit down in a session of mine and... An eating session, a binge eating session. Yeah, <laughs> and I could eat a, a litre of ice cream without a problem. And like no problem. I could just eat a whole litre of ice cream. Um, so I think that for me, a lot of it was unconscious as well. So I wouldn't... No, I wouldn't realize what I had done until I had done it. So I wouldn't set out to eat a whole liter of ice cream. I would set out to just have a couple of scoops of ice cream. But it was so delicious and... You weren't thinking about it. I wasn't thinking about it. Mm. And I would just go back for more and more and more until the point where I've got the tub in my bedroom watching TV and the next thing you know, the tub's gone. And I would feel embarrassment afterwards. I would know that that was not the right thing to do. And I would try to hide the rubbish from my mum so she wouldn't see that I just ate the whole litre of ice cream. 
and all these lollies and chocolates and things like that. So it was, I always knew it was the wrong thing to do, but I wasn't the sort of person that necessarily, when I talk about emotional eating, it's sort of, you mentioned binge eating that, it's sort of similar there where I wasn't necessarily super duper sad and like crying like you see that they portray it in the movies where the woman is like crying on her bed and she's got all this food around her sort of thing I think for me it was more just that emotional type of eating where I just I I wasn't a confident person I wasn't a very social person because of my lack of confidence and I didn't do much and I just sort of would sit at home and I would try to restrict my eating as much as I could during the day and then I would just binge eat at night because I was bored or I was lonely or I was hungry hungry, or I was, you know, any of those sort of things. Diets, hey? Absolutely. So I think when you say emotional eating, it covers a whole range of emotions, not just the sort of the imagery of the woman sort of sobbing on the bed with all this food around her. Um, but for me, that was sort of a lot of that was was unconscious in the moment of doing it. And then afterwards, I would know what I've done and I would feel embarrassed and disappointed with myself I'd be upset with myself for what I had done which then tends to make it worse because then when I'm upset with myself about what I've done that it just increases the emotional state that I'm in so I do something like that and I feel the emotions of being ashamed and being embarrassed and I didn't know how to deal with those sort of emotions at the time so it would just make me beat up on myself really and be angry with myself and I would think about how you know, it was always going to be fat and, you know, all this sort of stuff. And then that just makes it worse because then it doesn't make you feel better. So you're continuing to stay in this this fragile emotional state, uh, which will then just end up making you eat more. So it never, it never helped myself out in that sort of area. Once I sort of started to make the decision to change the way my life was headed, I definitely knew that I was an overeater in terms of portion sizes that I would eat, but I was an undereater where I thought that I had to try to limit my intake of food. So my food habits were all over the place. Definitely meeting you, Matt, and you teaching me about eating food, eating more often was a big eye-opener for me and having just trying to develop a little bit of self-control with my with my emotions, with everything that I that I do, a bit of awareness and a bit of self-control, I think that really helps. So now I'm not saying I don't emotionally eat ever, but it's not to the binge level. And I think as well, my body wouldn't even be able to handle that the sort of food I would eat even back years ago. Like, I think I would physically make myself ill now Mm. because I don't eat that food very often and especially not to those amounts. If I tried to do that, have one of those sort of episodes now, I would, I would, I think, physically make myself ill. Absolutely. So it definitely has changed. And I think coping mechanisms with emotional eating, they range depending on how you emotionally eat. I think there's not just like, Unfortunately, they're not sort of one size fits all for 
for how to fix it. I think it's definitely something you always have to be mindful of. I know I'm always mindful of it. I'm always mindful of eating unconsciously. I think that that has always played into my emotional eating. I've always, I've had a big problem with unconsciously eating, so not realizing what I've done till after I've done it. Then not overeating. I tend to I love food, so when I eat something delicious, you know this, Matt. I just want to keep eating it. Yes. And even Matt has to sometimes say to me, remind me, like literally remind me at the dinner table, don't force yourself if you're full. And that's something that I have to remind myself sometimes, that if I'm full, I need to stop Mm. and I need to listen to my body. And that's something that I never used to do. I would never listen to my body. I would never think before I ate or anything like that. Whereas that's been the biggest change for me in dealing with this is now I think before I eat things. I I have to listen to my body because as I've got older as well, my body has changed. And your bodies do change as you get older and you can't handle the same sorts of food always that you always have. So you have to listen to your body and... I think definitely, uh, yeah, I think those are the main things like unconsciously eating and really listening to your body and thinking before you eat. So how does this affect you now? I have to say it doesn't, it doesn't affect me that much now. I think the young the unconsciously eating and as i just mentioned sometimes matt you have to tell me like you have to remind me should i say that i don't have to finish everything that i start to eat if i'm full uh that that is the next meal yeah that is something that i have had to remember as well so it's just being sort of mindful of it but it's not something that week to week i have to always think about so i've got into the habit now of developing ways around it like Listening to my body constantly now has become a habit. I know when something doesn't feel right with my body. I know straight away if I've eaten something and it just doesn't feel right. Mm. So listening to my body, thinking before I pick something up to eat it now, is I wouldn't say it's quite as strong as a habit as listening to my body, but it's definitely getting there. Um, and... Yeah, so just, just developing those habits around it have really helped me now. But as I said, it's I, I personally think if you struggle from emotional eating, it's something that you just have to be conscious of always because it is such a strong habit that unconsciously it can really just slowly filter back in if you're, if you're uh, too lax with it. It's also normal. Mm. Humans are emotional creatures by nature so to me um emotional eating is well it's it's largely the rule for most of us yeah i don't think you can ever get away from it like as i said i still have my moments definitely Mm. i mean everyone does and i think it also depends on how you emotionally eat i always ate from boredom or sadness or just loneliness or Things like of that nature, but I know we've discussed in the past, Matt, you have emotionally eaten in the past from exciting things, Mm. you know? Victory eating. Victory eating. So you might get a promotion at work or you might 
have reached a certain goal. Just have or, a win, yeah. Yeah, something's happened in your life and then suddenly it's not just one celebratory meal. It becomes a All of them. buffet um, <laughs> that, that carries on for a week. So it's just, it depends. You, you, do, you develop strategies depending on the way you emotionally eat personally because it affects everyone differently. Mm. But it generally affects almost everybody. And as you said, Matt, you're never going to completely get away from it. It's just to develop strategies to always be conscious of it. I think once you're conscious of a bad habit, it's it's so much easier to then be mindful of it and be, be tripped up by it less. I think when people don't take the time to be mindful of these things, then of course it's going to constantly affect you negatively. I think you've hit the nail on the head with that one because to me, in my mind, the first step is acknowledging it mm. and recognizing it and owning it. Mm-hmm. Like, I've got this. This is part of who I am. Um, how does this affect me? What do I do with it? And I think that a lot of people, they, they for a, a lot of these, these, this is one of those goals that I personally think, uh, not goals, this is one of those habits that I personally think you don't connect with achieving your goal. So to be able to say, I have overcome my bad habit of emotional eating forever and I won't do it again, which means now I can achieve my goal. And unless you can say, my bad habit of emotional eating is gone forever, I've overcome it, I've banished it, now I can achieve my goal, it doesn't, do you know what I mean? Like it doesn't go hand in hand. It doesn't have to be like that. So I don't I don't know whether I will ever overcome my habit of emotional eating. Sometimes it it might just pop up. I, As you said, madam, a human being. But I'm conscious of it and I've developed strategies around it to deal with it and I can still achieve my goals without having to say I've totally overcome my habit of emotional eating. Well, that's a pretty good point because clearly to get the change that you've had in terms of the way you've changed physically, mentally, and the effect it's had on your life, uh, you had to have improved at things. Mm -hmm. So I suppose it's not really discussion about not making mistakes or being perfect, is it? It's just a discussion about being a better version of you. Correct. And and doing things more consistently with a, a gradually improving quality over time. That's right. Okay. So uh, let's move on to the next one. Yeah, I'll move on to the next one, which I won't spend a lot of time on because I think I've covered some of prox. I think some of proximity eating can come into emotional eating. Uh, uh, let's see how this goes because I, I think I disagree with you on that one. But for me... Proximity eating has been a big problem and is one still big problem of mine that what, I'm still working on. What is proximity eating? So for me, proximity e- proximity eating is when you eat things just because it's there. So it's it is around you. So, oh, well, I'll just eat it. And that has been a big problem of mine growing up. I grew up in a household that had lots of different food. So there was a wide-ranging food in my house, but there was a lot of sweets as well, and I ate them. 
and I get into my teens and my early 20s and continue to eat them. And it was always a case of whatever was around me, I would eat it. Whatever was on my plate, I would eat it. You know, if it was delicious, I was going to eat it. Um, so now it's a case of, and I know when I first started this, Matt, I did sort of a bit of a clean out where in, I was still living with my parents at the time. And so what I did was obviously those sort of things were still in the house and I couldn't do anything about that. It's not like I could throw my parents and my other siblings out of the house. So I developed a strategy where I took over one shelf in the pantry and one shelf in the fridge and I would make my own food and I'd buy my own food and I'd put it there. And so I only ate from my shelf and from my uh, cupboard shelf. But that was obviously still difficult when you've got obviously sweets around the house and you're used to just eating them. I did it help. Pardon? But did it help? Yeah, it definitely helped. So that was one strategy I used when I was living with other people because I know there's a lot of people, we've got a lot of clients that say that they are living with, you know, maybe a partner who doesn't want to do what they're doing and they want to continue drinking, eating the same food they've always been eating Mm. or they're living like I was with their parents or with housemates or whatever that always have different styles of food around the house. I know we've heard Matt a lot from parents who say it's quite difficult when they've got certain little snack foods that they keep for their children and they find it very difficult to have that sort of stuff in the house. Mm. So it, it is a big one. It's always affected me and it, it still continues to be something that I need to be mindful of because it's one of those things, like I mentioned, with emotional eating where it can happen to me unconsciously. So what I will do is I will see something there and unconsciously before I know it, I've already had three of them. Mm. So I know my parents' house is a great example because my parents, God love them, always have a jar of lollies on their bench. I know what it is about grandparents. That would be a three-level jar. <laughs> it's one of those like three-tier jars. And they always keep like... Um, strawberry and creams. Yeah, like strawberry and creams. Jelly snakes. Snakes. Like jelly type lollies. Mints. Like in a... Chewy, chewy mints. Yeah. So they always keep things like that on the bench in their house. So everybody, all of us siblings, we always know where the lolly jar is. So when we go to mum and dad's house... You also walk right past it. Yeah, it's right on their bench. You can't miss it. And you always tell yourself you're not going to have a snake. And by the time I leave their house, I've had like three of them. (laughs) So it is one of those things where I'm not eating the jelly snake because I'm necessarily hungry. Like I couldn't be eating it because I'm hungry because it's not going to fill me up. So I'm eating it just because it's there. And I know it's there and I know it tastes good. So... It's proximity eating can get out of hand unless you're mindful of it because it does happen quite often unconsciously. And I was having this conversation with a client just the other night. She does the same thing. There's a jar of lollies at her parents' house and her one of her parents have been unwell recently. So whenever she goes over to her house, she gets obviously emotional So then that brings up some emotional eating type stresses. And when she's stressed, she eats. And because the lollies are sitting on the bench, 
before she knows it, she's eaten them. And she said to me, I don't even like lollies. Like I literally don't even like lollies. I would never buy lollies to eat. And she said it wasn't until her child was with her one day and her child turned to her and said, why are you eating those, mum? You don't like lollies. And she had no idea what she was doing until her child pointed it out to her. So it's one of those things where proximity eating can often be unconscious. And especially if there's some sort of trigger emotionally or if it's just a habit because you, like I do, I go back to my parents' house every week the lolly jar sitting in the same place every week full of lollies and it is a habit to go to the lolly jar and get a lolly. Does this affect you here uh, at home where you live? No. Why? It doesn't affect me in my house because I control what comes into the house. Now, I am guilty of leaving the witness a bit here because you've just touched on what I think is a really good strategy uh, for controlling proximity eating. Yes, absolutely. You want to? You I think you know where I'm going with this. You want to take it over? Yeah. Well, I mean, it obviously changed a lot when I moved out of how of home because I controlled literally everything that came into the house. So not just ha- having my shelves in in the pantry and in the fridge was a big help when I lived at home. It really got me started on it, and it started to develop develop a little bit of self discipline. Obviously, it was still a struggle because it's still there, but I still made great progress. I think you'd agree, Matt, when yep. I was living at home with my Unquestionably. parents. So it's a strategy that definitely works and it can be done, but obviously becomes even easier once I was living out of home because I literally controlled every single thing that came into the house. So I just wouldn't buy it. Like my family drank soft drink. When I moved out of home, I never bought soft drink. So now isn't that it was never uh it was never a problem to say oh I mean you know are you you're getting into the habit of drinking too much soft drink well that was never a problem because it didn't have it in the house isn't that the hot tip though uh what you put in the shopping trolley you're going to eat correct and people used to say to me oh well, what if people come over what are you going to offer them to drink water the same thing we do that's all I drink well there's also we got coffee and tea I got tea and coffee but. I wouldn't buy, I'm not going to buy juice and cordial and soft drink just in case people come over and they want to drink. They can bring it themselves. (laughs) No. And that's what my parents do. If my parents and my younger brothers, if they're coming over, if we're having a family get together, I'll give one of my siblings the role because, you know, we split up who's going to bring what food for the family gathering. If they're coming to my house, I will give one of them the role of bringing the drinks. Because then whatever's left over can go home with them. Mm-hmm. And that's the other thing to remember too. If you have a party or a gathering and there's food left over, give it to somebody else to take home. That's what I do every time. I'll give it to somebody else to take home. Or, you know, if it's the case of something's left over that I can freeze, I'll freeze it. Mm. You know, you can't just go to the freezer and pick something out and eat it. If something's frozen, that takes planning to take out of the freezer wait for it to defrost before you can eat it and by the time that all happens you've generally sort of worked out that it's probably not a good idea to eat it so you always can control what comes into your environment don't worry i've always found this with with what comes into your house never worry about how that affects anybody else 
coming to visit your house. Mm. If they're visitors into your house, as Matt said, they can bring it themselves or they cannot come. Insert discussion about prioritizing yourself here. Well, they can just not come. It was it never bothered me at all to say that I don't have it. Like I just don't have that. You know, we don't we never even kept alcohol in this house until I was given a bottle of champagne for Christmas and it's still sitting in the cupboard. It's not even sitting in the fridge. So if someone comes over and wants a drink, they can have it, but they're gonna probably wanna wait for it to chill down first. Interesting you mentioned that. I've got a friend of mine um, who we will occasionally have gatherings uh, at his family house and they don't have a microwave. Huh. But I, I know that going in, so what do I do? I bring food that I can have cold. Mm. You work around, it doesn't bother me. That That's that's their choice. Like I'll, I'll, I'll work around that. Yeah. And it's the same thing with us, isn't it? Absolutely. You know, my family know that. They've got no problem with it. They know if they're coming to my house, what I will have and what I won't have. That's um that's Courtney's house, not anyone else's. Let's just be you know clear of this. It is Courtney's house. Sorry, if they're coming into our house, whoa, whoa, they whoa. know what we have and what we don't have. And if they want something different, they'll just bring it, and it doesn't offend me. And they're not offended by bringing it. So it, it, it it's really, not a big deal. It's not a big deal. And I used to worry about it a lot when I first moved out, but I came to learn very quickly that people get over it. Definitely. Any other any other sort of things you want to touch on with the proximity eating? No, I think that's it. Just again, just it's something that I have to be really mindful of. Well, I think um, I'm going to put a bow on that one. Cool. Because this is going to run extremely... We're not even halfway there yet. Oh, yeah. Sorry. We, no, no, no. Don't be. We're touching um, on each one of these a lot more than I expected. Just as much as I thought we would because it's a really good discussion. I'm going to put a bow on this one. And save the rest for part two. Cool. I think otherwise we're going to run three hours on this. Yeah, no, that's too much for and one session. We we understand that we are boring as batshit <laughs> as it is. Three hours of us. Mm. Yeah, nah. Right. Oh, well, we've touched yeah, nah. on three really great topics and they were always going to be really hard topics to keep for a short time frame anyway. If we're going to talk about them in any great detail. Well, we've got a great email here I want to get to as well. So I think we'll save the rest of it for part, for part two cool. uh, on the next episode. Uh, so we won't, we won't leave right. you hanging on that one. Time for emails. Yeah, do, 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 yeah, I think we'll move on to the emails here, my dear. Do you want to do the honours of reading it out, Matt? <laughs> Would you like to? No. Thank you. <laughs> we have an email uh, come through this week from Joe. Oh, thanks, Joe. Joe is in the UK. Hello there, my name is Joe. I'm from the UK. Oh, by the way, podcast at theweightlosspodcast.com is where you can email us. Uh, you can also reach us through social media. We are on Facebook as The Weight Loss Podcast uh, and our own personal accounts. And we are also on Instagram. Aren't we? Oh, yeah, our own personal accounts. Yeah, yeah. I'm at matt.wolfs. And what's your Instagram? Hey, your underscore. Oh, my God. Am I? you matt underscore wolfs. Oh, that's right. That's my Skype name. And yeah, I okay. am court.ley, L-E-Y. Okay, so Courtney, from now on, will handle the Instagram <laughs> um, announcements. I'll just stick to Facebook and email, because that's apparently all I know. Podcast at theweightlosspodcast.com. Joe from the UK. Thank you, Joe. Um, I've always been a big lad. I'm 21 now, and it's finally hit me that I'm getting ridiculously overweight. 
I'm now at around 23 stone and I can feel that my body can't keep up with my job. I'm constantly hurting and constantly feeling tired. I know that I need to lose weight and I've been listening to your podcast for the past three weeks and I just started with cutting out sugary drinks and now I've started meal prepping. I don't want to think um, that I can lose all the weight that I want to lose within a small time frame because I know that I'll just be disappointed. Realistically, how long should it take to drop around seven stone and or finally feel good in the body that I'm in? Many thanks, Joe. Courtney, take it away. Right. <laughs> okay, there's a lot there, but uh, congratulations first off, Joe, in making a decision to change and to get healthy. That is fantastic that you've hit that point. You're a young guy, so plenty of years ahead for you so uh, definitely a great idea to hit this now so in terms of realistically how long should it take to drop about seven stone so I had to actually google this because I didn't know how much seven stone is uh, so in kilos doc, Dr. Google tells me <laughs> that in kilos seven stone is around 44 kilos that's a fair bit yeah so, seven stone is a good whack. So, it's a great goal, judging from your starting weight. But it is also obviously a fair whack to go in in one, one sort of time frame. So, I would definitely advise sort of splitting that down to... Tr- to sort of progress type goals as well because seven stone is a really, it can seem like a really long way away. So, but in terms of a realistic time frame, Matt, what sort of realistic time frame would you give to someone who wanted to lose 44 kilos? Well, isn't that a loaded question? Mm. Because then you must consider everything else around it. Um, the first thing I personally would do is recommend episode seven uh, of a great podcast I listen to called The Weight Loss Podcast. Episode seven is called, how long will it take me to lose weight? So we do hit that, go into that sort of thing in long form. Yeah. Uh, so I would personally would start with that, but we'll put it this way. I mean, 44 kilos, even for a young guy, you're looking at at least 12 months, at least. Yeah, at I was, least. I was going to say, you probably want to give yourself two years personally. But I was going to touch on that. Like to me, you're looking at 12 months bare minimum. Yeah. But also, you really got to be thinking to yourself, like, this is the rest of my life. I'm working on myself here. Because the thing is, you're looking at a number here, right? Seven stone, 40, 44, what? Yeah, 44 kilos? Yeah, about. Okay. Um, in my mind, if someone has a really good 12 months, it's entirely possible, depending on the other circumstances, um, age, uh, their history of diets, their history of exercise, etc., However, the question of how long will it take to finally feel good in the body that I'm in, that is a very open question that no one can answer. Yeah. That only you, Joe, can answer that question and I don't know when you can answer it. I was about to say, you probably won't even know until you start losing weight. I know for me, what I thought that I wanted to look like years ago when I first started is very different, I think, to how I started to feel about myself along the way. So... It's, it's, it's very hard to say because 
when you don't really know how you're going to feel, all you're working off is expectations. And I think sometimes when you're in the moment and when you're doing it, you start to feel very differently about your goals, about how you feel about yourself. So, yeah, it can be a real personal thing. Yeah, it is. Um, Also, just reading between the lines, I have the suspicion that Joe has a very physical job. Mm. So constantly hurting and constantly feeling tired does not sound like someone sitting in an office. Mm. I could be wrong, but... This sounds like some sort of manual labor-oriented work. But one thing I would sort of touch on here, um, where you start with cutting out sugary drinks, very, very good. And meal prepping, also very, very good. However, one thing to, uh, to keep in mind is that whatever you cut, you ideally want to replace. Mm. So yeah, cutting out sugary drinks is a very, very, very good move as myself as a former type 2 diabetic can attest to. However, the thing is, that is still energy your body is used to. So the fact that your meal prepping is a really, really good start, um, and I would be expecting to improve your energy levels that over time, a gradual increase in the, in the food that you eat, the volume of it, good food, of course, is going to sort of help restore energy levels and, re- and help with recovery, especially with work. Mm. Does that make sense? Yes. So you've got a um, you've got a pretty big starting point that you're at, and a pretty big goal to hit. Like I think, I think twelve months is absolute bare minimum best case scenario. Yeah. Um, and I think Courtney talking about more like you know eighteen months to two years is more accurate, just because of the hurdles and the ups and downs that we go through with this. Mm. But what works in your favor is that you're twenty one. Yeah. 21 is not 31, 41, or 51. It does, it does help. I mean, this is the time that, this is unfortunately, the best time to do it. age does... It does play a role. It does play a role. It does play a role. So 21 means as well, though, you haven't had that much time to basically abuse your body. Like someone starting, for example, like in their 40s, could have had you know years and decades mm. worth of diet abuse, gimmicks, you know, all sorts of shit. 21, like you're... You're a kid, basically. Yeah. So you're getting into the peak, the peak sort of state and peak age of your life metabolically. So you've got a good chance now in your 20s to make a big dent in this. So in my mind, a uh, a guy starting at 21 should get to his 23rd, 24th birthday and pretty much be unrecognizable. Yeah. And also don't forget, often what happens in this sort of situation is that you might start losing weight quite quickly once you start making changes, and then sometimes it can often plateau. Especially well, for a male in particular. Yeah. Males are fast starters. Yes. Um, so, I mean, we're, given the limited information that we've got, we're answering this as best as we can, but I, I would just start with episode seven uh, of our podcast mm-hmm. because that'll give a lot of sort of uh, insight into how Courtney and I break things down with our own clients because, yeah, normally we would want a lot more information to go with yeah. this. But I think I think 18 months to two years is a safe a safe yeah. bet. And it can it can be quite daunting that that length of time. So I would also recommend I don't know if you've got it there, Matt, but we did we did do a, a podcast on goal setting, and so yes. I would highly recommend maybe that one as well because it can sound very daunting to lose. 
seven stone to begin with, but then also to talk about that sort of length of time as well. Uh, episode um, 38, Courtney. 38. How to set the right goals. So I would definitely look at that episode because if my memory serves me correctly, we did go through the idea of definitely the good idea of setting yourself progress goals. Yeah, we did short, mid, long-term goals on that one. So, so that is definitely something that I would do if I was you, Joe. It just helps to keep your mind active on achieving something without constantly feeling like it's so far away and you've you've still got so much more to lose that sort of uh, thinking so hope that's helped yeah and if it hasn't um just tell courtney how she claim that if it hasn't helped (laughs) but otherwise i hope that's helped guys uh we'll wrap it up now because this episode has been long enough yeah, podcast at theweightlosspodcast.com is where you can email us. Otherwise, you can find us uh, at The Weight Loss Podcast on Facebook or through our own personal accounts. We're not too bloody hard to find. And next week, we will do part two. Yeah, we'll pick this back this up episode. with part two next week. So I uh, hope you get something out of this as always, and we'll speak to you soon. See ya. Get more free tips, listen to previous episodes, and contact Matt and Courtney at theweightlosspodcast.com.